Hello, hello, and welcome to The Art of Being You with me, Rachel Wortman. You guys, this podcast is all about learning to be who God created you to be, embracing that person, and ultimately living your best life with Jesus. We've got a lot of great content today, so let's get to it in The Art of Being You. All right, everybody. Well, it is time to buckle up your seatbelts. The captain has turned on the fasten your seatbelt sign in the airplane. Turbulence is coming because today we're talking about sex. Yes, you heard that right. No need to rewind. Today's topic on the podcast is about sex. And I want to give a couple disclaimers. Number one, this is not a rated R podcast. Number two, uh, we're going to talk about sex from the Christian perspective. And number three, if you don't want to hear this, stop listening now because it's happening. So this is a topic I've actually wanted to cover for quite some time. And I've been trying to figure out what was the best context to talk about it. And I guess it's time to just call a spade a spade. You know, when you're married, people have sex. People who are not married They do have sex sometimes too. And today I want to talk specifically about the Christian context with sex. I want to talk about why it's important to understand what God created it for and everything in between. So a little context to kind of get you going. You know, I'm a tra- I'm a very transparent person. Most of you guys know that. If you know me personally, you know I have no problem being very vulnerable with my life because... Not because I just want to air my dirty laundry to everybody, but I genuinely believe that when leaders are transparent, it helps people grow. It helps them press into Jesus. And that is the reason why I want to have this conversation with you today. When I was a kid, I was actually exposed to sex around three years old. I had a neighbor, uh, uh, my best friend, a neighbor friend that was about a year and a half older than me who um, molested me for several years from when I was about four until I was around nine. Uh, this relationship went on. When I became an adult, I actually began to realize that she must have been being abused as well because the things that she understood about the body and about sex are not things that kids come by naturally. And um, so that was my first introduction to um, sex and to this part of, you know, private parts and all that kind of stuff. And when I was around eight years old is the first time I actually was introduced to pornography and I watched pornography regularly until I was in college. So my understanding of sex came first and foremost through absolutely perverted measures, through ungodly perspectives. And, you know, I'm a firm believer that The first time that you understand something becomes the standard for all the times after that. So what I mean by that is when you learn about something, the first time you learned about it sets the tone for how you will you know, go about interacting with that in the future. Here's an example of that. When you learn that, um, you know, pornography and what people are doing in pornography is what sex is supposed to be, then that's how you measure every understanding of sex from that point on until you make a deliberate choice to renew your mind. I had an encounter with God in college and I had been convicted about pornography for quite some time and had an encounter with God and that was the end. And I can't explain to you what happened. I can just say that God broke something off of me and I've never looked at pornography since then. I have zero desire or taste for it. I think that it's just something changed in my brain. My husband had a similar experience and it's been, I don't know, too many years to count that the last time that either one of us was even tempted to look at a sexual image and in a lustful way. And I say that to say it's possible 
regardless of your background, it is possible to come in line with the way that God views sex in the kingdom. So I want to talk for a moment about um, sex before marriage. And for those of you that aren't married that are listening, and then we're going to spend the rest of our time talking about sex in the context of marriage. So I'm sure this will come as no surprise to you, but I do not believe sex before marriage is something that we are supposed to do or is even allowed in the kingdom. I know it happens. I'm not living under a rock. I've been a pastor for quite some time. But the truth is, this is my conviction. So I want to say that up front, but I want to explain to you why. God did not design your body to lust after other people. He designed sex actually to be something that is a gift. It's something that we give. It's not something that we take. So in the context of a dating relationship or an engaged relationship, there's a couple of reasons why the Bible says don't have sex before marriage. It doesn't come right out and say it exactly like that. But the reasons why it's there, number one has to do with trust. This is a big one. Um, Your trust level with your boyfriend or girlfriend or with your fiance is not the same as in a committed uh, marriage. Even if you're living together, it's not the same as being legally bound to that person. And God sees it like that. And so um, when we give ourselves and we you know, do sexual acts with people that we are not legally bound in a covenant with, then our ability to connect with them has superseded the level of trust that should be there. But here's the other thing people aren't probably telling you. You are going to have to learn to master your passions at any, at some point in your life, your lustful desires don't just go away because you have a running ring on your finger. Just because you are legally married does not mean that you will not find someone else attractive or want to fantasize about them. So when you are engaged and when you are dating someone and you're, you know, feeling tempted to be sexually active with them, this is your training ground for the rest of your life. How you handle those thoughts and how you train yourself to to handle the passion that's burning inside of you, it is God's gift to you for the rest of your life to keep you invested in your relationship and your marriage. I know most of us can't see it like that because often we're thinking, you know, I'm going to marry you and so I'll be with you forever, but you don't know what's coming down the road years later. And I'm telling you, even the best marriages, people have doubts of thinking, did I make a mistake? Did I pick, you know, was there a better person, a more compatible person for me out there? And in those moments of weakness, you are going to be so glad that you mastered temptation when you were dating and when you were engaged because that's the training ground. It's very hard to have that sort of steadfast resolve when you haven't practiced it anywhere. That's one of the reasons. There are other reasons for the sake of time. I'm not going to go too far into them, but I just want to say that um, you are developing trust between you and your significant other. So the best marriages, the, the marriages we're going for are the ones where they're kingdom marriages. They are a man and a woman who are both pursuing God. And so one of the things that happens in a kingdom marriage is that you have to support each other's convictions. God leads us and grows us in different ways where sometimes things that were okay for you to do just aren't okay anymore. For example, there's times where certain TV shows that you used to watch all the time, they never bothered you. When God is doing something in your heart, all of a sudden you can't watch that show anymore because it's it's the grace of God isn't there for you. So in marriage, we have to be able to say, I support you on the journey that you're on with Jesus. 
whether that makes me have, you know, lack in that moment or not. So when we come together and we decide on boundaries for our dating relationships and we say, listen, I'm not going to cross that level of passion. One of the best pieces of advice a pastor said to me when I was dating my husband, it was this, that there's a difference between affection and passion. And when we move into passion, that's what we're trying to reserve for marriage. So you can decide for yourself what that line is, but it's probably going to be with all of your clothes on. Just going to give you a little spoiler for that. And so when we're talking about that, and I'm coming to my boyfriend and, and or you know, you're going to your other significant other and they're saying, here's my conviction, then you're building trust with each other to support that conviction. That's one of the reasons why it's so important to not pressure each other, to not push past someone's boundaries, because yes, today it's about leaving my clothes on while we smooch on the couch, but tomorrow it might be about a fast I'm trying to go on to bring breakthrough for my child. Tomorrow it might be about something I'm trying to do to you know, encounter God in a specific way. It's all the same principle happening inside of you. All right. So I know you guys are all really wanting to talk about uh, what it's like when you're married um, and sex in marriage. So I just want to say, as I mentioned to you earlier, my introduction to sex was not good. I had years of accumulated thought processes and um, um, really neuropathways to be a brain science nerd for a second of specific thoughts and triggers in my body and in my mind from the molestation that I experienced. And I had really dealt with a lot going um, into my marriage about the healing for that. But I was really surprised what would happen with different smells or different physical touch that would trigger thoughts in me. And the first year or two of my marriage, most of sex in my mind was me trying to sort through all of these past remembrances, these past experiences that were really bad and trying to get them out of my mind. I wish I was able to interact with the Holy Spirit on a deeper level. At that point in my journey, I really wasn't open to that. Um, But if I had been, I think this process would have been a lot faster. But I say that to say, sometimes we think that once we're married and we're married, you know, we've saved ourselves for marriage or whatever, we come into our wedding night and it's supposed to be all green pastures after that. It's supposed to be easy. Uh, You know, it's supposed to come naturally. I just want to say to both women and men, you don't know how to have good sex until you've practiced The journey of sex in marriage and the beauty of it is that through communication, you actually learn your spouse's body. There's this huge myth going on that when you're dating, you need to try them out and see if you guys are sexually compatible before you get married, because what if? I'm just here to tell you that's such a fear-based load of crap, because all good sex comes from learning someone else's body, and it gets better with time. It gets better with time. In fact, when we hit the around nine, 10 year mark of our marriage, we were having the best sex that we'd ever had. Why? Because our ability to communicate, our ability to be vulnerable with each other, our ability to let our guard down, to give of ourselves to each other, it had all grown through our marriage that we were building over a decade. And it manifested, for so to speak, in some of the best ability to be vulnerable with each other in sex. So I'm just here to tell you that it does take work. 
It's supposed to take work. I think God designed the human body, which we're not going to get into that right now, but he designed the human body to be so complex that it actually requires a husband and wife to be able to communicate with each other to get to a place where they're both in a life-giving relationship with sex. Now, the truth of the matter is there's different seasons that absolutely affect your sex life in a marriage. So when you're newlyweds, if you came out of abuse, that's going to be a season of time that's going to affect your sex life. Um, When you are having little kids, when you have a baby, when you have kids that are sick, when you have chronic illnesses going on in your life, all of these things can affect your sex life. And that's why communication is so important. Listen, if you're not married, you probably think that most of your married life is about sex. But if you are married, you know it's just one component of a million things that you have going on in this relationship with your spouse. And it's designed to be that. It's not supposed to be this all-encompassing thing of your life. Now, I want to say for a moment, I want to talk a little bit about um, your sex drive. So, you know, most of us typically understand that men have a greater sex drive than women. They are, um, more interested more often in sex than women. And as women, it becomes something where we kind of shame men for that. Like, oh my gosh, why are you thinking about this all the time? Why are you da da da? I want you to know that your husband's ladies, your husband's sex drive is a gift to you from God because it keeps them coming back to you because you are the only source to fulfill that. And so, yes, you can have conversations, you can figure out what works for you in your marriage, and you need to do that, but don't shame them for wanting to be with you. Don't shame them for having a drive that pulls them close to you because um, they need that. They need to be connected to you in that way, and you need to be connected to them in that way as well. We've been in different seasons of life where, you know, um, you almost have to schedule sex because it's, there's so much going on that you can forget. And I personally believe, and this is going to sound super weird. So, you know, here we are in the middle of this awkward conversation anyway, might as well throw it out there for you. But I believe that sex can be spiritual warfare also. There are times where things are going on in your marriage and the act of coming together. Now I'm not talking about, you know, taking advantage of the other person or anything like that. But I'm saying there are times in marriage where everything feels against you. And when you make the decision to give of yourself to each other and to have sex, and it becomes like an act of spiritual warfare. We've had moments of great breakthrough in our life because we were so frustrated with each other. And it just came to the point of going, you know what? I don't want to be near you right now. I don't want to unveil myself to you right now, but I'm going to do it because I'm sowing a seed into my our, our commitment to each other. And it shifts something in the atmosphere when you give of yourself. So sex is not something that you take. It's something that you give. The best times, the best moments of intimacy are in the vulnerability of giving yourself, not in the lustful action of taking This is why the Bible says so many bad things about lust, because lust is generated out of selfishness. Let's talk about porn for a second, because lust and porn go hand in hand. I mean, when you're looking at porn, it's a completely selfish act. It's in every single way. It's all about you, and it's all about you doing something to gratify yourself at the expense of someone else. When porn is in your life, there's a couple of things that happen. On a very practical scientific level, when you are um, 
masturbating to porn on a regular basis, you're actually building muscle memory to respond in a different way than your spouse can stimulate you. And that could become a real issue in your marriage. So just something to think about from a purely physical, biological perspective. But on a spiritual level, porn is offensive for a couple of different reasons. Number one, you are looking lustfully. So in your heart, as Jesus says, it's, you know, Jesus makes that statement that it's no longer that you committed adultery, it's that you lustfully wanted to, right? That that's where it becomes a problem. Am I going to say to you, I've had some women say to me, you know, my husband's committing adultery because he's looking at porn. And I absolutely understand the thought process in that. It is a very different thing from looking at porn to actually sleeping with someone else. I think we all probably understand that. But there is a violation of a covenant that happens when you gratify yourself sexually on someone else's image. And that's not even getting into all the stuff that has to do with the deprivation of someone who's so desperate in their life that they would be filmed in that manner. I mean, we are capitalizing on broken people. That's what the industry of porn really is. I want to take it a little bit deeper on a spiritual level as well. And this is going to get awkward and, you know, just brace yourself. Um, In the Bible, there are actually lots of um, cities in the Bible, like Ephesus was one of them, where at the time before the gospel came there, there was temple orgies that would happen. And what they would do is they would um, unveil themselves, they would get naked, and they would sleep with just whoever in the temple, and everybody would watch each other have sex. And it was demonic worship to the pagan gods. It was what they considered Worship. So when they gave themselves in sleeping around in this way, they were doing it under the understanding that they were worshiping demonic gods. It's interesting because if you trace the history, and unfortunately I don't have time to do that for you right now, but if you trace the history, these specific gods that have existed, you know, from the beginning, basically, since the rebellion of the angels falling, um, they have been getting people to have sex, getting other people to watch people have sex, to feed worship to them for thousands of years. And so now we have the porn industry and it's doing that 24 seven. It's, it's one of the largest, most lucrative interest industries in business is pornography. And 24 hours a day, these demonic gods are getting worship. Now here's where it gets tricky. When you choose to partake in that, When you choose to watch porn and give of your body in a pornographic act, you are coming into agreement with that demonic worship. Now, you may not want to agree with me on that, and you can take some time to think about that, and that's okay, but that's what's happening. And so when we abstain from porn, we're doing it for lots of different reasons, biological, spiritual, um, emotional between you and your spouse. And it is the best thing that you can do for your spouse. Some, some might say, well, what if we're watching it together? We turn on porn together and it like turns us on or whatever. I've heard people say that. And I would say to you, then you guys are coming into agreement with something that's not from the Lord. Is it going to rain down lightning bolts on your head? Not necessarily, but it's definitely robbing from your ability to be intimate together. Um, so That being said, this is sort of a general overview about sex, but I want to talk for a moment about everyone that is struggling with their sex life right now. For those of you that would say, my sex life is not where I want it to be. And I want to say to you that there's absolutely hope. And did you know that God wants you to have great sex in the context of marriage? 
This is his idea. He came up with it. He loves it. And I know this sounds weird and it's hard to kind of think about it like that, but you need to know in your soul that if you're struggling with something about sex, if you're struggling in your sex life because of past abuse or past um, experiences and relationships, if you're struggling in your sex life from not understanding or, you know, whatever the case may be, I want to tell you that there is hope and you can talk to Jesus about it. It's awkward. I get it. But you can, because to have a great intimate life with your spouse is one of God's greatest gifts. It's why marriage is one of the reasons why marriage exists on the earth. And having great sex is what we are called to as believers. Yes, I said that. Listen, right now, the statistics show that the amount of divorces happening for believers and non-believers is pretty much the same. But we're called to be in a life that is abundant, to be in a life that's better than everyone else. And so it's my personal conviction that our marriages, as those who are following Jesus, should be so, um, for lack of a better word, envious to those that don't know Jesus, that they're like, I want to get saved so I can have sex like that. Now, how are they going to know that? I don't know. Don't chase that rabbit too far down the road. But here's what I'm saying. You are designed by God to have an amazing life to have an amazing marriage, to have an amazing connection with your spouse, to have a great sex life. There might be some counseling that needs to happen. There might need to be some really hard conversations that need to happen. And I'm praying for you if that's the case. I just want to tell you, don't count yourself out. Ladies, especially, we have a tendency to do this and think that, you know, we're that God doesn't like our sexual desires, that he doesn't want us to, you know, participate in that. Don't buy into that. God created you a sexual being just as he did your husband. And there is nothing better than feeling so free between each other that you have just the ability to be vulnerable and have all your walls down and all your clothes off and really enjoying all the fruits of marriage. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you right now, you can't get that apart from the Holy Spirit. You can't get that apart from walking in the kingdom. That's what it's designed for. So, um, all right. So I think I have talked about enough awkward things for today's podcast, but I just want to encourage you, don't give up um, and don't make life all about sex, but don't discount sex as a great part of life as well. I'm praying for you. Listen, if you have questions about this, or if you have like you, you need prayer and you're going, I don't know who to talk to or turn to about this. Shoot me a message on Facebook or Instagram, um, at Rachel Wartman. And I would love to pray with you because I get it. I know it's a really awkward thing. And while I don't necessarily want to talk about all the nitty gritty details of your personal experience, um, I definitely will be a support for you and be praying for you. So feel free to reach out about that. And uh, until next time, be blessed. So you've just listened to The Art of Being You with Rachel Wartman. I hope you enjoyed this episode of my podcast. And listen, it would mean the world to me if you would subscribe and rate or review this podcast on wherever you're listening from. Also, share it with a friend. Help me get the word out. Until next time, be blessed.